Hello, and welcome to The Confident Commit, the podcast for anyone who wants to join the conversation on how to deliver software better and faster. If you're looking to build a toasted ship, tune in less confidently commit. Listening to episode eight, season two. I'm your host, Rob Zuber, CTO of CircleCI, the industry leader for all things CI and CD. Today, I'm joined by Justin Riak, field CTO at Gradle. Justin, thanks so much for joining me. It's awesome to have you. Rob, thanks so much for having me here. I'm looking forward to talking with you today about developer productivity engineering. I, well, let's let's not waste time then let's jump right in so i i love that uh that notion that y'all are focusing on i mean we're we're thinking a lot these days about i mean we're always thinking about continuous improvement and and being able to deliver faster and better in particular we're thinking about learning from failure and i see lots of references to failure in your framework so um, i'm excited to get into all of that but but just to kick us off uh i think it would be surprising if people weren't super familiar with Gradle, but give us like the two seconds on Gradle and then how as a, an organization you you found yourself really focused on, on developer productivity and developer productivity engineering. Sure. Yeah, definitely. So um, Gradle Inc. really represents two separate entities at this point. We're the team behind the open source Gradle build tool, which is, of course, a really well-known build tool, very popular. Um, it's the default build tool in the Android SDK and you know, used by, you know, a lot of folks has a lot of good reasons to use Gradle. So that's one part of our business. And then the separate part of our business, more the commercial side of our business is our Gradle enterprise product. Now, this is a product that's completely separate from uh, Gradle. It's it's not a build tool or, or like an enterprise version of Gradle or anything like that. Rather, it's a set of enabling technologies for the practice of developer productivity engineering. So it can integrate with build tools like Gradle or Maven or Bazel most recently and provide uh, a lot of the tooling that supports sort of the, the, the mindset and philosophy that the developer productivity engineering is. So, so tell us a little bit about that then. Like as you think about developer productivity and it, I'm going to project a little bit, but feels like you're looking at it from the lens of, of building and software delivery, which is sure. a lens I'm particularly excited about, obviously, but it's, it's a piece of the puzzle. Like what, what is that mindset? What are you hoping to bring to people, get them to focus on and get them to really try to, to drive towards improving? So I think to kind of sum it up in terms of like the, the, the why of, of why we would put uh, a practice out there. Um, we're at a state now in the industry in 2022 where 65% roughly of the entire global GDP has been digitally transformed at this point, which is staggering if you think really the amount of code that that represents and then the workforce that supports, you know, that amount of software. And, you know, obviously this software is supporting all types of other, you know, verticals and industries, right? I mean, everything from healthcare to consumer retail, you know, software is now driving and transforming, you know, kind of all of these businesses. And yet we're in this position still where basic stuff like feedback cycle times for developers, you know, are still in a lot of cases, you know, you know, painfully long, uh, or at least in our mindset, not as fast as they can possibly be given all acceleration in analytic and observation technologies, right? So I think the DPE mindset is very much about, despite all of the great stuff that things like DevOps and previous to that, Agile and Lean and, you know, all these principles that have been put in place to really help parts of, of the, 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 the SDLC process as a whole, 
that the industry has really shifted its focus over the last few years to look at what we think is sort of the next big consciousness for the industry. And that's how can we improve developer productivity, right? So we look at this as like the next shift in consciousness after DevOps. And that doesn't mean that, you know, it's only for DevOps mature organizations, right? And it doesn't mean that, you know, DevOps doesn't still have a, a lot that it can innovate with and grow. But it's now we have another layer that says we found a new set of bottlenecks. We found these bottlenecks and friction that are distinctly part of the developer experience. And these are things like long cycle times, long test cycle times, avoidable failures that avoidable failures in the build that, you know, force developers to to have to, you know, wait until they're getting feedback, Uh, inefficient troubleshooting tools, which, you know, failures are not necessarily going to take a developer out of that state of flow or that really productive state that they're in, as long as there's good tooling to solve those problems, right? I mean, the, 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 you know, software development as a behavior is very much a right brain and a left brain type of activity all at once. We have creative problem solving, but at the same time, we're, we're, we're making a hypothesis with the language or framework about whether the code that we're writing is going to solve the problem, whether it's going to, you know, put some pragmatism behind uh, the, the creative idea that we have to solve the problem. And if any, at any point we reach a state where the tooling or the idle time or the context switching is, is, is too much to the point where that developer is taken out of flow we now have a state that's deleterious to developer experience, right? So I think mm-hmm. that the why of this is, is pretty clear. It's that we still have a lot to do in terms of making sure that all software developers are experiencing cycle times that are as fast as they can possibly be, not fast enough, but as fast as they can possibly be given all applied technologies, uh, and that we have the right type of tooling for developers to stay in flow even when they run into trouble, um, so then, you know, the how and what is very pragmatic acceleration technologies, analytics technologies, and observation. And I, I mean, I, th- I think you covered a little bit of it in there, but as you, as you've experienced this, right, as you've gone out into the field and, and worked with some of your customers, talked to, uh, I'm guessing folks that aren't your customers, but trying to understand the use case overall, have you found that, uh, that the gaps are are primarily in tooling or in desire understanding or some combination of those things? Like, is it that people don't know that this is important or they know it's important and they just don't know what to do about it or have the capabilities to do something about it? You know, so the, so the, the solution is always going to be in the tooling because this is distinctly developer productivity engineering, right? This isn't something where we would look at redesigning human behavior processes to try to lean on developers or whatever that would be. So this is very much a, you know, an engineering type of, um, you know, type of, type of answer for it. But in terms of, you know, where does this really stem from? A lot of it is that if you go and ask uh, the average organization, are you even tracking local build times for developers? Are you even looking at how long developers are waiting in the, uh, for build cycles to complete or test cycles to complete? A lot of people I've gone on the road and I asked that question as part of, you know, our, our, our keynote on DPE, how many of you are tracking this as of now? And it's like crickets. You know, it was it was funny. The last time that that I that I gave this uh, talk was out in uh, Stockholm just a few weeks ago for J Focus, and I think the only people who raised their hands were people who were already customers or were already uh, we knew of were were working within the DPE uh, kind of mentality. So, but it's also this other thing that when you look at it, it's such a no brainer. Like uh, one of the best bits of feedback that I got was at another uh, conference. 
uh, giving the same talk. And someone came up and said, that was the best talk I've seen in a couple of years as a, as a DevOps professional. I really appreciate all of what you're saying, but it's also one of the most frustrating talks that I've listened to in a while because at every point you're making, I'm kicking myself thinking, why weren't we already doing this for our developers? You know, So I think that the DevOps professionals are, are very hungry always to improve the developer experience. But I think this is, again, just a set of bottlenecks and friction and, and um, uh, obstacles to throughput that are just sort of being discovered, if you will. Somebody finally stood up and said, things don't have to be this way anymore. So. And is there something in particular that you're able to connect for folks? So if you say, you know, are you, are you tracking local developer build time, right? Particularly yeah. if you said that to, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll play the role of the CTO here. It's not hard sure. role play for me. I might say, no. Why is that a problem sort of thing? Like, I, I wouldn't, but let's pretend that's let's the scenario, pretend, right? So, sure. so then what's the connection that says, okay, maybe you don't see it as local developer build time, but what you are seeing is, is X, right? This impact on your developers, on the ability to get things out, you know, on what is it that people do see that then you can work with them to say, okay, Here's why we see that as connected to this, you know, this particular subset of, of bottlenecks or these more specific problems in the flow. That's, that's a really great question. And, and the thing is that because this is, I mean, I'm a big fan. I don't know if you can, if it's clear enough to see my, my, my bookshelf here, but I've got the goal, I've got the Phoenix project, you know, I'm really inspired a lot mm-hmm. by the, the simple theory of constraints approach to productivity, that if you can have a process that's going to increase throughput and decrease cost then you have a process that's going to help the business win really at all levels of the organization, which is what developer productivity engineering focuses on. So because we are, for instance, eliminating things like idle wait time, uh, or at least reducing that for developers, and also reducing their need to context switch between various tasks by keeping them in this flow state more, more frequently, what you see is developers actually asking for feedback more frequently. You know, if a developer can run a build and you know, 10 seconds as opposed to 50 seconds. A lot of people might look at a 50 second build and be like, oh, that's great. But what if that build could be 10 seconds? In that same span of time, a developer could actually ask for feedback five times as often from their build. So they're more likely to submit a smaller change set when they actually do like, like, a, like when they actually push something out, maybe to CI for a build or wherever, when they actually run the build themselves, they're going to run, you know, a smaller bit of code at once which is going to lead downstream to things like less merge conflicts, right? And less merge conflicts means less work by build release engineers uh, having to resolve those conflicts, which then has a direct impact on time to market and productivity. But then other things like developers being able to refine their work more frequently means that they're going to find bugs further left in the process, which we all know and love because they're able to run their test cycles more frequently when they're able to have the tooling accelerating. So that's going to have a direct impact on quality and ultimately brand. And then there's also the whole issue of employee retention, which I think is something that has been a particular importance to the industry over the last couple of years. And that, you know, knowing that you have developers who take a look at the build experience and say, gosh, none of my buddies are having to deal with this kind of thing. You know, I think I might go work somewhere where they're really focusing on the ability for developers to be more productive. And we've particularly seen this uh, resonate in some of the mid-markets and, um, you know, folks on the other side of the chasm, uh, if, you know, to to forgive that (laughs) metaphor, but, um, but, but businesses like that that are trying to figure out how can we invest in ways to really have our, our developers love what they do at our job, at their job, at our, at our company. And one of the best ways that you can invest in that is by 
implementing, uh, you know, at scale within the organization, a developer productivity engineering plan that then says, oh, no, you're going to, this is going to be a delightful place for you to work. Our builds are super tight. Our test cycles are really tight. You've got great tooling to, um, to, to help troubleshoot when you do run into failures. We've got failures uh, plastered up on a dashboard and, 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 and we understand how many developers are impacted by these failures and how, how frequently and how long do they have to wait to encounter this failure. Um, so, you know, we, we have all of this available to you and we've really invested heavily in the experience. So I'm talking to a C-suite. The easiest thing I can say is, oh, I've got a product that decreases costs and increases throughput in every case. We could, we could end the conversation right there in a lot of cases, <laughs> but then to be able to really flesh that out into what that means, how do you cascade uh, improved and idle wait times and faster troubleshooting out to really all the top C-level initiatives in the company, it's not hard to connect the dots. And, and all the all the mid-level VP director and uh, VP and director level initiatives are, are often, you know, they meet in the middle of, of you know, a better developer experience and, and C-level objectives. Totally makes sense. Uh, I'm, you're certainly not going to hear disagreement from me on, <laughs> you know, faster feedback cycles, hearing more, learning more. Um, but, you know, as attuned as I am, the, you use the word failure about 55 times in that description. Um, and it's it's interesting because we spend a lot of time, I've spent a lot of time in the season talking about failure in the like, we tried to do a thing and didn't go to plan. But mm. it, it, but like if you go to the extreme of test-driven development, it's like I'm going to intentionally create failure until I have success, right? And so it's a little bit of a nuanced shift in the use of the word, but almost in a way that doesn't matter because if I take that approach and apply it to bigger things, it's actually a great way to look at it, right? Like this is just a tool in which I'm validating that I haven't found the answer yet. And knowing that I haven't found the answer yet is a good thing to know. And I'm going to keep going until I have the answer, right? And that might be this little algorithm and it might be something much bigger than that. In all of those cases, fast feedback, like whether it's Again, whether it's one function you're writing or the business that you're building, the faster you can learn you're wrong, the faster you can get to write. And so is there a um, like a cultural element as you look at sort of your customers, people you're talking to about this? You know, you said it's super easy to connect the dots, but honestly, not everyone just looks at that and says, oh, yeah, got it. Let's let's go. So is there something about um, organizations that you're seeing, you know, kind of jump on this that already have some of those other pieces in place or something about them that stand out in terms of, of embracing that, like, I want to learn, I want to learn as quickly as possible. And this is going to get me there. I, th I think so. I think that there are organizations who are able to differentiate engineering toil from unavoidable failures that actually make the product better. Right. I mean, writing, for instance, a test that, you know, is going to fail for the first few cycles until you get it right. That has engineering value. Right. That's not an avoidable failure that uh, that could have just been eliminated and, and pulled out from this developer in the first place. So I think organizations that have done a good job at like defining and recognizing toil versus, you know, failure that actually has an engineering value. That is a cultural thing. Right. It's, it's not immediately obvious to, to everyone. Right. Um, so thinking about that in more of like, you know, on the ground, what does that really mean? You know, let's say that, you know, for instance, there's a flaky test, you know, there's a, there's a test that, uh, sometimes produces successes and sometimes produces failures for developer. And if we were able to detect that the test was flaky and put it on a dashboard and be able to see how flaky it is, how often is it, is it actually impacting developers? 
then we could actually say, okay, well, we're going to do something today about this flaky test because it's impacting this many developers and it's causing this much toil in the organization. That's that's a, a, an example of a possibly avoidable failure, right? Uh, if we're able to fix this test flakiness and maybe even set it so that um, you know it only fails when it's actually going to provide valuable and interesting feedback back to the developer that has engineering value, then we've eliminated toil, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's you know even even more common ones, you know, so let's say that, you know, you find out that, um, that, you know, 500 developers a week are failing on what we would call a, 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 a non, uh, validation or non, excuse me, non-verification test, uh, uh, failure, I should say, where verification failures are things like, you know, this, this assert failed, or I didn't have this class in my class path. And other failures would be failures like, oh, I had a web server to try to go to test some API and I just got a 500 error or a 404 or something, right? I just, the the web server was down or something like that, right? Well, that could have been avoidable, you know, if there was better site reliability on, you know, that web server and it could certainly be improved. But, But again, if it's only a couple of developers like in their local build environment running into this failure and no one's actually tracking it, then it's, it's probably not going to get risen up past that developer's workstation. They're just going to hit it again. Oh, it's failed. Oh, okay. You know, maybe I'll skip this test this time. You know, that's, that'll, that's more the psychology for it to, for getting the work done. But if instead we could identify, no, this is affecting 500 developers a day, you know, and it's impacting 500,000 builds a week and it's taking developers five minutes, you know, to, to get to the point in the build where the failure even occurs well, we can proactively eliminate that. We can then, you know, just remove this toil altogether so that the de- developers never see it. So I think, yeah, it really comes down to defining like what's a, you know, what's a constructive failure that actually adds engineering value versus what's just toil that, that could be avoided. Yeah, I think that's, it's a really good segmentation. And I was trying to think about recasting it a little bit as as failures that have useful information, but I actually came to the conclusion they both do. They just have information about different kinds of things, Mm. right? Like information that our process or system could be improved versus information that there's something wrong with the code I just wrote, right? And particularly the the former, you want to collect an aggregate is, is what I'm taking away because if every individual is like, yep, the system could be improved, but just keeps that to themselves or it's kept in their local build environment, then then nothing is gained from it, right? Because each individual is like, oh, this is just a minor nuisance for me, but the total cost, right? Now putting my CTO hat back on, the total cost across all of those engineers in terms of everything you described just specifically today, plus the every day is frustrating, doesn't look like my friends at this other company have every day be frustrating, like let's talk about that. Um, that cost in aggregate is is quite significant. So uh, as we as we wind things down, I want to uh, I want to jump into this uh, red build rewind. So uh, my yeah. favorite part because I love the stories that people bring to this. But can you tell me a little bit about um, a situation where where something didn't go to plan for you, and you know, whether it's career, technical, whatever, um, and uh, you know maybe felt catastrophic at the time, but ultimately you learned something really valuable from it. Yeah, um, I, I actually, so I, I, I knew that you were going to ask this question and I, and I struggled a little bit with it. I was like, okay, what do I tell? Because, you know, I mean, there's this, this, what do you focus on? Like a personal catastrophe, like a, but I think I would, I just would end on something maybe super technical. Um, so, I mean, I'm going on, you know, over gosh, 22 years of, 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 you know, professional software experience in, in one way or another. I mean, I spent, 
you know, the first 10 years of my career slinging code and then moved more into architecture and systems integration work. But my first real programming gig was for MindSpring, the ISP in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And so this is going to be back in the early, early aughts that, um, that I was programming for them. And I was working on a language called WebSpeed, which is a progress technology that's still around. Um, and so it was an early, like fourth generation DSL language. And at the time, we were one of those companies that were still writing their own billing software, right? So we had, um, you know, WebSpeed is like a very kind of database driven um, uh, was like at the time, kind of visionary. It, it combined like the model view control and the database all in one language. It made it super easy to to, to hit. What that also meant that it, that the fulfillment database and the sales database and the backend billing database were all the same database. Right? It was the way that that, that WebSpeed was sort of architected. Now I was working on sort of the customer service and fulfillment side of this, but that meant that I had access to things like the billing tables and and things that really really shouldn't be. Uh, messed with if we want to be able to collect revenue from our customers, and so uh, I was doing you know typical hacking around in, in the in the console. Had a production window open, had a development window open. I run a, a, a query to clear out my billing codes from my little sandbox that I'm running in, and I hit go. When I realized I just did that in production, <laughs> I just nuked all of the important billing codes that help calculate what our customers actually owe us on our bills. And at the time, I didn't realize that I had done it in production. So I closed this thing out and I'm just like, well, whatever, done, uh, done with the day. And then the following day, you know, I get this, what the hell has happened to our billing system? Why didn't any of these invoices go out? And uh, mm -hmm. so I'm like, oh, I was playing with that table and uh, it was uh, not in the environment that I thought I was in. So a couple of things happened at that point. First of all, my heart sank into my, you know, pants and I was like, oh man, I've just really screwed this up. I'm a new developer. Like I'm going to, I'm just going to be fired for this and everything. Um, the second was I need to tell somebody immediately that, that this happened, mm -hmm. right? Um, I need to just fess up and be like, look, here's what I was doing so that somebody who knows these tables can go and recreate them and fix them. Um, and so I went to my boss and told him what happened and, uh, I did not get fired. I ended up staying there for another almost nine years of, of my career, actually, uh, was, was working for that company. Uh, we were able to restore the billing tables very quickly once they knew exactly what had happened. Uh, and, um, and I was told, you know, the bit of wisdom, hey, everybody gets one big screw up around here, basically. <laughs> so what, what I took away from that uh, as a young developer was really like the importance of transparency when you're dealing with an engineering problem. Right. If I could, I could have sat on that and maybe they would have audited it later. We didn't have the best audit tools in place, or maybe I could have beaten around the bush a little bit and be like, Oh, I don't know. I was playing with something, but instead just saying, Nope, this is what I ran. This is why I screwed it up. We were able to, to solve that problem very, very quickly. Uh, and I think, you know, to this day, um, I remember that moment when, when, when we're, when we're faced with the same, the same challenge that I think we all face in our daily life. I just screwed something up. Should I tell somebody about it? <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I mean, the outcome from that is, is amazing, right? Like I think those are great takeaways that it's, it's most important thing is there's a problem and we need to solve the problem. Yes. I have more information than anyone. I'm nervous about sharing that, but the best thing we can do for the organization and honestly, the best thing for me in the long term is to share that information and in the right organization, 
right? The question is going to be, why do we have a production database where someone can accidentally delete all the billing tables? Like, let's yep. ask ourselves that question <laughs> instead of, you know, what's wrong with you, right? Which is, which is a shift that it's taken us probably the course of that story, like from when that story happened to now to really acknowledge this is going to happen. Yes. So how do we, you know, uh, my takeaway earlier in my career was setting, you know, PS1 or whatever, like all my prompts said, you are currently in production, be very careful what you do, whatever. Oh, yes. Like learning to (laughs) to always do things in a transaction so I can roll them back until I'm super confident that I did the right thing. You know, there's, there's other more technical lessons, but the real question is, why does someone have a production database open on their, you know, in a terminal that's just started in their job or whatever? Like, let's talk about that. Let's think about what we can do to make that not happen. Because someone's going to hit enter in the wrong. It always happens when there's no when there's no check. So um, spot on, and all those things happen. By the way, and I learned to set the background of my putty terminal to like bright, <laughs> obnoxious red later when I was in there. So yeah, <laughs> you are in production. Do not forget. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks for sharing everything else. I mean, developer productivity, near and dear, um, learning from everything that's happening in your environment. Um, and, and building software. Also something I love to talk about. So awesome having you here today. Um, thanks so much for sharing. For everybody who joined is listening, um, you know, thanks for joining us. Subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Tell your friends. And if you want to hear uh, anything from us or have us talk to anyone in particular, find us on Twitter uh, at CircleCI. Let us know. Justin, thanks again so much for joining. Rob, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.